I'm still going to preach long, whether you clap or not. 18 years, Ernie's been with me. I don't remember one time where he's ever come in my office and asked for help. Hope he finds a good church one day. He heard I cut back at him in first service, and he said, I wasn't worried because in your position now, you don't have any authority. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I want to thank Troy Lane, our intern this uh, fall, for the offering uh, devotion. Greg asked me to take him hospital column with me the other day. I don't think I told you that yet. I can't remember what I said. But So I showed him some of the old tricks. We went in the first lady's room, hospital room, and she was asleep. So I kept raising my voice as I talked to Troy. I think she's asleep, and uh, she didn't wake up. And so then I finally showed him how I usually do when someone's asleep. You don't want to shout too loud, so you just kick their bed. (laughs) Whoops, excuse me. She didn't wake up. And then I thought, boy, this would be terrible. Take a kid first hospital call, and the patient's dead. But... uh, but I said sometimes uh, patients just don't want to wake up, especially when the preacher comes. So, uh, so you never know. Uh, but we had a had a good time together. I want to thank you for those 27 years that I served here at, uh, at Clinton, uh, and especially the last four years where there's been such a big change in in my life and in my ministry and in the life of the church. I cannot thank uh, Greg Taylor enough for all that he's done for me and uh, allowing me because we started out with the idea that that, uh, that Greg is going to have to be the one that approves me staying on. And it's hard to kick out an old man. I, I understand that. And uh, But anyway, we've enjoyed our ministry together, and I worked under his leadership, and, uh, and I appreciate that. He's still a little intimidated by me, but you know me, so very humble and kind, but uh, he has nothing to worry about. Greg came in the other day feeling sorry for me because he knows I know nothing about computers and the PowerPoint. He said, Kent, I can do the PowerPoint for you someday. I thought, I wonder how he does that. Does he stand up here and point? I have no power, and I only have three points, so I decided to put it in the bulletin. You'll notice a lengthy outline in your bulletin, and so I'm going to ask you to do four things today. It's congregation involvement with the preacher time. Number one is you have to get a pencil or a pen and put it in your hand. You've got to take out your bulletin and look at the outline. If you do not fill out this outline, I'm at the door after service. You don't get out. I only had one guy I had to pull in this morning after first service. He didn't have it filled out. You don't want to be caught that way. You'll be late for dinner. So I'll be checking them at the front door, and the other doors are locked. So I want to make sure I'm only asking you to write down three things, and I think everybody can do that. Now, I want you, the third thing I want you to do is, is take your Bible, a pew Bible. If you don't have your own, if you don't own one, if you're, if you're ashamed of your Bible to bring it out in public, whatever, whatever reason you have, 
I want you to take your pew Bible. I'll tell you the page numbers so you can find it. But when I give you the scripture and the page number, I want you to do it really fast because I've only got 20 minutes to preach. Everybody brags on Greg getting out on time. Isn't that neat to have a preacher where you get out on time? You know, I've burnt more dinners in my 50 years of ministry than any other preacher. I want you to turn to page 1134, 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture because so many times within Scripture, talking about life, it is described as a race. It's a race of life. Some of us have been running that race for a long time while other people are just beginning, just understanding. Paul here talks about finishing well he says do you not know that all in the race all the in the race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever therefore i do not run like a man running aimlessly i do not fight like a man beating the air no i beat my body and make it my slave so that after i have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Finishing well. You know, in life, we, we just don't set out and just to run. Or in our material life, just to, just to live or endure these years until God calls us out. Or in our life in Jesus Christ, we just don't start out and, and think nothing else is, is, is really important. We start off with the end in mind, with the goal of winning. I want to finish having kept the faith and receiving the crown of life. And we'll do whatever it takes to achieve that as long as we abide by the rules. Some people want to make shortcuts. Too many people are falling away. I read an article the other day about the biggest problem now that we have in our churches is not sin from outside, but sin within our own lives and how we've allowed Satan to come in and take control of us and we find good Christian families are struggling with so many difficulties in this life. Paul wrote to Timothy and on pages 46 pages over, 1180. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, these words, very familiar to you, I've already been poured out like a drink offering, and I have time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on me that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is saying, I finished well. Now, no matter how far along in this race that you are, you're going to have to make some decisions today. I don't know really anyone who's, who would say, I, I don't want to finish well. When they reach, reach the end of life, uh, does anyone really say, I, I just did the bare minimum to get by? Or I didn't parent all that well because I didn't really want to be bothered? Or I didn't really give my marriage all that I could? I was just too lazy to mess with it. Or I didn't really care to give God my all what did he do for me besides die for me and create me and give me life every day of my life? Anybody want to get to the end of their life 
as that of your legacy. In 27 years, I've, I've uh, officiated at like something like 1,600 funerals. And boy, they tell me a lot of things. You know, the last one was yesterday. He was a Harley rider, and so I went around to my friends that I know ride Harleys, and I said, I need a Harley Davidson story. And so they all began to tell me stories. I couldn't use one of them. You know. But nobody says, because I want that as my legacy. We are getting older. You're going to have to accept that. I know some of you don't like that. I was confronted after my service by a lady who said, I don't like what you said today. I have a bone, she said, to pick with you. I don't know what that means to you. And she said, I don't like about you talking about old age, that you're being old because I'm older than you are. I should have said, you are? But I didn't. I didn't give her that. We are getting older. And all of my heart problems I've gone through lately, here's the famous statement that everybody says to me, you've got to expect that now that you're old. We know that we're getting older. We don't like to be reminded about it. But there's a great Old Testament passage that I want you just to look at in a little bit different way today uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You're familiar with it, the 12th chapter, page 666. Hmm. Do you want to turn to page 666? Turn to page 665, and it's right across the page. Remember, here's what the writer says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. In other words, you need to start thinking right now what God has called you to. You need to start thinking right now, no matter how far in this race you have already run, you need right now to think about finishing. Does it make any difference how old you are now? Whether you're very young, middle-aged, old age, you're still running the race of life. And in our spiritual life, our Lord wants us to finish well and finish strong. Now a very colorful description of the days of trouble that are heading our way. Notice what they say because it's kind of funny there in the 12th chapter look down at verse 3 when the keepers of the house tremble I've noticed now lately at communion time I can't pick up one of those little loaves you know I try not to touch the others and I'm in there knock one off the tray today you know down in there you just kind of tremble when the strong men stoop my wife came up behind me the other day and put her arms around me, and I was so excited. And then she wrenched my back back, and she said, Stand up straight. You look like an old man. When the grinder sees because they are few, no dentists in those days, and those looking through the windows grow dim when the doors of the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades, growing dim, no eye doctors or glasses. When men rise up at the sound of birds, did you ever notice 
the older we get, the earlier we get up. And then we ask other people. I hear it at the coffee shop. What time did you get up this morning? Oh, I got up at 5. Oh, I got up at 4.30. Or what time did you go to bed? You ever hear young people ask each other, what time did you get up today? They don't say that. Now, what do these older people get up so early for? Because they go to bed so early. When we men rise up with sounds of birds, but their songs grow faint, they get up early, the birds, the only trouble is they can't hear them. We've lost our hearing. I keep getting these ads in the mail. Anybody else get a bunch of ads in the mail? I think it's my wife that's, that's registered me someplace, and they keep sending me. That's the trouble with having a younger staff. I go to staff meetings. And they all sit there. And they look at me and I go, <laughs> hard telling what I'm agreeing with. <laughs> I hope it isn't church camp. You know, <laughs> can't hear. Uh, look down there in verse 5 when the autumn almond tree blossoms. When the grasshopper drags himself along, <laughs> remember when our steps used to be peppy, and we, you know, and now we kind of people tell my wife and they email this dumb email stuff and the private dumb pages and all that stuff. You write my daughter or send something over the, you know, well I saw your dad the other day. He's really walking slow. I think it's not feeling good. I try to walk fast. Troy Hospital call with me. He's down the hall. I'm waiting for me to come. I used to try to make races with the nurses, and I can't walk as fast as they can. I try to walk fast. I can't walk fast. I'm sorry about that. But now it's like a grasshopper. It's now a grass dragon. <laughs> Not a grass dragon. Desire no longer stirred. No sex therapist then those days. And then after you die. I was going to say blue pill, but I didn't. <laughs> then, notice, one day you're going to die. One day the race is going to be over. And then the man goes, look there in verse 5, to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. You're going to die, and all your friends are going to be there, my friends. They're all going to lie by Sarah. Didn't he look natural? Have any of you ever seen me asleep? How do you know I look natural laying there asleep? And everybody's going to be there and say really nice things, and then you're going to endure some preacher whine on about the funeral service. And I used to warn preachers in some smaller towns when I started out. I was the only preacher in town. They just came in on Sunday. They didn't know their people. Kind of like the ones around here. They didn't know their people. And I said, don't lie in the funeral service because they would stand up there and say, oh, Mr. So-and-so loved his wife. And everybody would start giggling. Why? Because they knew he beat the tar out of his wife. You don't lie. So I don't know what kind of lies you'll hear at my funeral, but it'll be interesting. And then guess what? After it's all over, they go out and eat Chinese and don't think another thing about you. Right? That's, my friend, Israel. 
what's heading your way. Before everything starts breaking down then, before you get to the end, you need to be thinking about God right now. You need to be willing to finish well in your spiritual life, starting right today. As if God has given you a second chance. Remember when you gave your life to him, that's exactly what happened. But I'm saying right now, you have the choice and the ability to start right now your desire to finish well. It's not too late has always been the gospel message. It's not too late to give your life to Christ. It's not too late to start thinking about doing God's will within your life. The Lord always starts with us where we are. You never know when the end is going to come. Now, how do we finish well? Well, when you look at the life of a man named Caleb in Numbers 13, I didn't write the page down. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So it's the fourth book of the Bible. A man named Caleb, and it gives us at least three ingredients to finishing well. Remember, Caleb was one of the 12 scouts sent out by God to explore the promised land. The 10 said, we can't do it. Let's go back to Egypt and let's be slaves again. Can you imagine that response? The cities were fortified. The people were like giants, and they cried out, the assignment is impossible. Does that sound familiar to you? Maybe you've heard it in your home. Maybe you've heard it at work or at school. And I know you've heard it in church. We can't do it. But Caleb and his buddy Joshua, they trusted God. And they said, we believe God will give us the land he promised, so let's go for it. I first want you to notice, so look at your outline. This is your first assignment. You've got to wake up. The first thing we need if we're going to finish well is unwavering faith. If you want to get out of here, you better fill it out. That goes for you guys down here. Caleb believed that God would do what he said he would do. He refused to let the circumstances alter his, that faith. So often we won't advise God that, that God doesn't, isn't an all-knowing God, that we'll tell God what he needs to do and what he does not need to do, and we think we need to point out some things to him. But Greg taught us the other day at that great commission, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Too often times we think it's up to us by ourselves, and we've tried it all of our lives by ourselves, and we failed miserably. That's why we come to Christ and give him our life and receive his better the Holy Spirit. Know that. The ten spies measured the giants against their own strength, but Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The ten had great giants, but a little God. But the two had a great God and little giants. I was involved in the beginning of DIY over 30 years ago up in Michigan. It was one of the first ones I ever held. Their theme then, which I think is the same theme today, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, taken from 1 John 4, 4. 
prime visual example you can visualize in your own mind of what we're talking about is found in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. When Peter sees Jesus, he jumps out of the boat, he walks on the water, and he's walking to the Lord, and suddenly he took his eyes off of Jesus. He put his eyes upon the storms and the wind and the rain and the waves, and he begins to sink. Secondly, look at your bulletin. Second assignment. In order for us to finish well, we need a wholehearted commitment. A wholehearted commitment. In your Bibles, in the book of Joshua, page 221. Joshua 221. The 14th chapter, verses 7 and 8. Notice very carefully that Caleb is saying, I was 40 years old when Moses and the servant, Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God, what? Wholeheartedly. It simply means with undivided devotion. Earlier, I think Greg taught us in one of the lessons that we cannot serve two masters. Evil will love the one and hate the other, devote ourselves to one and despise the other. The greatest commandment he taught us was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Nothing is more basic to true discipleship than wholehearted commitment. Yet, how many of us can say that we do this? And how many of us even worry about not doing it? Wholehearted commitment half-hearted, or quarter-hearted, or slight-hearted, but whole-hearted. Now to help you get out today, you look at your bulletin, and let me review what you're just now looking at. We need unwavering faith. We need wholehearted commitment. And third, we need a God-sized for look at the next verses in this 14th chapter of Joshua. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as in the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to, to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out.
what's the toughest battle to win against the enemy? On flat ground in the open or against an enemy in fortified cities up the hill country? Now, I'm sorry for some of you older ones like me here today, but I'm speaking to you also, not just the young people and the youth. You need to start a desire to finish well, and you can accomplish great things for God. Caleb did at age 85. Notice what Caleb asked for. Contrary to our thinking, he asked for the hardest challenge. In terms of finishing well, you and I need challenges. We need God-sized challenges. God has wired us up so that our bodies and our brains and our minds and our spirits require these challenges. Not comfort, not ease, not security. Oh, our kids may say that about us. You know, Grandpa can't do much. Let's just make life no wonder so many older people are miserable. They think they finished the race. Everybody tells them to sit down, be quiet. But he's still in the race of life. And we're not to stop. We're not to cheat. We're not to take shortcuts. Our challenge is to finish well. We need not second-guessing the elders or griping about the ministerial staff or anybody can do that. That is not God-sized challenge at all, but finding things that need to be done and being the help to other people, helping them to finish the race. To finish well in this life that God has called us to and saved us for, like Caleb, we need to have an unwavering faith. God will be faithful. We've seen him act that way in the past. Regardless of what the circumstances look like, our faith must be strong. We need to have wholehearted commitment, giving God our undivided uh, devotion. Remember Peter in the water, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And we need to embrace, even seek out God-sized challenges before us something we can do on our own, but trusting that the Lord will be faithful to enable us. Many years ago, we talked about a new facility, and a lot of people were very satisfied. We have a full church building every Sunday, two services, and I came, and we did one because there weren't too many people here, and so it looked better to go to one. They've always had two services here. Well, would you know all the wonderful people in our leadership, we asked some guy to come in who was supposed to be an expert. You know experts. They're about like evangelists. The definition of evangelist is five good sermons and a fast car. But he came in and he talked about sacrificial giving and I was there in the meeting nodding my head. And he said, then we're going to have people stand up in front of the other people and tell them what, what they're going to give. interesting. I've always been taught you weren't supposed to do that, you know. And he says, and the preacher will be first. The preacher. You know, I didn't have a Greg Taylor then. <laughs> that meant me. 
I said, oh, no, not me. I'm not going to say. He said, yes, you are. How can we ask anybody else to give sacrificially unless you do? It's more than just, yes, I'm going to give sacrificially. You tell them what you're going to give above and beyond what you usually give. Well, that became a problem because I didn't really know what we were giving. My wife always handles the checkbook. <laughs> we were giving a lot more than I thought we were. And she said, you know what? We can do it. So I stood up there. That didn't mean much. To a lot of people probably. But when our little church secretary didn't have much, and she stood up and she told people what she was going to sacrifice. That made people sit up and take notice. God can give us Didn't he do that for you when he gave your life to me? And all of your stubbornness and stupidity and sinfulness, he took your life and he turned it around. And he cleansed it in his way. And he set you in place. But he could do it for us. He can do it for anybody. So we ask you to give your life to I want to end with this last verse it's from the 12th chapter book of Hebrews 11 page 1199 Paul says let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so We could do a lot of things on our own. When we've tried to do really great things by ourselves, we failed miserably. We've tried to save ourselves. We've tried to outgive God. We've tried to come to church every Sunday. Father, we need your strength to do the impossible. May we remind ourselves that greater is he that is in us. Give us power, strength, courage, desire.